I actually like this new seating arrangement, man. I like having people in front of me. The Bible says in 1 Samuel, about chapter 17, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war, and they assembled. They pitched camp. Here's what you'll learn about me. I can't pronounce any of these names, so I skip them. I don't normally acknowledge that I'm skipping them. That way you think I'm just trying to give you a fast version, but... You know, I, don't, I used to always pronounce the names, and then Grady started coming to our church, and Grady has a master's degree in theology, and he used to always tell me how I was saying all the names wrong, and so I just don't say them at all. So Grady's giving me a complex, and it's all his fault. So <laughs> they pitched camp. Saul and the Israelites assembled in the camp and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. All right, so the Philistines are here. They're setting up camp. Saul and the children of Israel setting up camp. They're about to go to war. I never really understood where I'd like to do a little bit of research on that. I never understood the whole let's line up against each other and just go to war. Like stand there and let half our people die because that's the, the right way to do war. I never really understood that, but that's how they did it. I'd like to know the logic behind that. So they're getting ready to go to war. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His, his height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor, a bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, and his leg wore bronze graves and a bronze. He had a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. So here's the deal. The Israelites are here. The Philistines are here. There's a valley in between them. The Philistines had a secret weapon. His name was Goliath. Goliath was a huge man. He was an intimidating man. It, 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 they say that he was probably literally double in size than most of the Israelites. And he walked out, and he had, was covered from head to toe in armor, and he challenged the Israelites. And really, his challenge was pretty logical. He said, hey, we can all go to war, and thousands of people can die. Or we can have a one-on-one -on -one battle. You send your best man out to fight me, and whoever wins, wins this battle. So basically, we can keep it real, real simple. We can have a one-on-one -on -one fight that determines who wins this war, and thousands of people don't have to die. He said, why do you not come out? And why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? He says, choose a man and have him come down to me. So Goliath would come out every single day. Every single day he would come out and he would issue the challenge. The Israelites were not ready to go to war. They were afraid of the Philistines. But they knew that their time came. They would have to fight, but they kept stalling and waiting for this opportunity. And Saul would come out, and nobody from the Israelites would challenge the giant. The giant was intimidating. The giant was overbearing. As they looked at the giant, they thought the giant was not able to be defeated. I recently watched a documentary on HBO on Andre the Giant. Anybody remember Andre the Giant? And they said that Andre the Giant, every single night, would drink 172 beers and a case of wine every single night. He was so much bigger than everyone. And they said whoever was new on the road was responsible for traveling with Andre the Giant because they said the problem was you never made it to a show on time because Andre would pass out at the bar and nobody could move him and they had to literally stay at the bar overnight and wait for the next morning whenever he decided to wake up 
and get in the car. And as I was doing some research and seeing the height of Andre the Giant and seeing what they speculate the height of Goliath was, Goliath was about five feet taller than what they say Andre the Giant was. Just to put that in perspective for you. And he would come out every day, and every day the Israelites would cower to the giant in their life. And the reality is this. We look at that and we think to ourselves, man, why didn't just somebody step up and battle? We, we always look to ourselves and say, man, just because they're big doesn't mean they can't be taken down. Ah, I take out their knee, I would take out this, but nobody wanted to stand up. And the reality is it's easy to talk about defeating giants, but it's a whole nother thing when those giants are staring at you. And at one stage in your life, whether it's in the past or whether it's today or whether it's to come or whether it's all three, here's the reality of the situation. There will come a day in your life where you're going to have to come face to face with the giant in your life. And that giant is going to be controlling your life. That, that hurt, that habit, that addiction, whatever it is today. Maybe that giant for you is unemployment. Maybe it's debt. Maybe it's some kind of disease. Maybe it's a deception. I don't know what the giant in your life is today, but every single one of you know exactly what it is. Maybe it's abandonment issues. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's tragedy. Maybe it's you're overwhelmed by bills. Maybe it's some kind of weakness. Maybe you've been rejected. Maybe it's bad relationships. It's a hurt. It's a habit. It's a hang-up. It's an addiction. Maybe your marriage is your giant. Maybe your career is your giant. Maybe your fears, your failures, discouragement, anger, depression, anxiety, insecurity, whatever it is in your life, you know what it is. And the giant comes out every day and it taunts you. And the giant comes out every day and it challenges you. And so many people are living their life less than what God intended for them to live it simply because they won't face the giant in their life. If you're ever going to live the life you were created for, make no mistake about it today, you were created for greatness. I believe that every single person here was uniquely designed by God to carry out God's mission, to carry out God's purpose, and to literally change the world they live in. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mess-ups. You're uniquely designed. The Bible says there's nobody else like you. He says you were fearfully and wonderfully made. He said when you were in your mother's womb, he told Jeremiah, he said when you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. I set you apart. I called you out for greatness. I tell people this all the time, and every time I said, I've been saying it for 15 years, and for 15 years somebody gets offended by it. You might have been an oops in the backseat of your mommy and daddy's car, but you were not an oops to God. God doesn't make junk. You can let the world tell you that you're junk. You can let the world tell you that you're worthless. You can let the world tell you that you're the mistakes that you've made. You can let the world tell you that you're past and you'll never be anything but your past. But all those are our giants in your life. And we've got to get to the point in our life where we learn to face those giants. They come out and they scream at you just like Goliath did. I don't know what they say to you. They tell you you're not qualified for that job. Those giants come out and they taunt you and they tell you, you're not good enough. 
Those giants come out and they tell you, you can keep working and keep working and you'll never catch up on your bills. Those giants will come out and they'll tell you, there's no way, there's no way to save this marriage. Just walk away. Those giants will come along and they'll tell you, man, life's hard. Life's rough. Wouldn't it be a little bit easier if you just shot up? If you could just escape it for a little while, go ahead. You, you can't not shoot up. Those giants will tell you, you'll never get your kids back. Those giants will tell you, you'll never stop looking at pornography. You'll never stop with whatever those vices are in your life. You can't stop cheating. You, you can't shake the past. Uh-uh. Those giants will come out and tell you, you have no future. Every day Goliath came out and taunted the Israelites. Every day he said, why are we standing here? Just send somebody out. Is there not one man who go one-on-one with me? Every day the Israelites cowered and they cringed. Some of the best fighting men of all time are in this army, and nobody had the testicular fortitude to step up and say, I'll take him on. And the giant taunts you today, and the giant says, Your life, you're just a mistake. But if we're going to live the life that we were created to live, you're going to have to face some giants in life. Here's the things about giants. You can't ignore the giants. You can temporarily ignore them. You can try to ignore them. But you can't go around the giants. You can't go under the giants and you can't go over the giants. The only way to get victory over the giants in your life is to go right through the giants. And I'm here to tell you today, there's a group of people out there today, and you're living less than God intended for you to live. You get up every day, and you feel hopeless. You get up every day going through the motions. You get up every day knowing that deep down inside, you were created for more than what you're experiencing And what you're doing in the process is you're wasting this incredible thing called life. What a gift we have of life. What an amazing thing that we have, this amazing thing called life. I've been pretty blessed in my life that I haven't dealt with a lot of death in my life. My grandfather died when I was about 18 years old, and that's really the only family I've ever dealt with. Last, or last Father's Day, last week on Father's Day, I get this text. So I have a biological dad. I don't know my biological dad. Haven't seen my biological dad in 33 years. I don't have any bitterness towards him. I just simply don't know him. He was never a part of my life. He went to jail. In order to get out of jail, he signed the rights away to my stepdad. My dad, my stepdad is my dad. He raised me, my best friend in life, the greatest man I know. And I simply don't know this man. Matter of fact, the only time this man ever gets brought up in my life, I'm a junior, so I had the same name as when he gets in some kind of legal trouble and everyone seems to think it's me. 
And so I went to get my license when I was 16 years old, and they tried to arrest me for a warrant. And I was like, man, I was two years old when that warrant was arrested. I had to call my mom. They took me in a back room, and this is back before technology was so great. And I never had wrote junior on anything, so I didn't write junior on there, and, man, they were ready to take me to jail. And so I don't know him, but last, or last Sunday I get a text. So he's had more children. I only know them through Facebook, and I, I, I don't know. I've never met them. I've never seen them. And one of them sends me a text and says, hey, Gary is probably going to die today. I'm like, okay. I mean, I hate that. Like, I hate seeing anybody die. I'm like, okay. And then Monday I get a text. He's still breathing. I'm like, okay. And then Tuesday I get a text. He's still breathing. I'm like, okay. Wednesday, he's still breathing. I'm like, okay. And I, and I want to be there for them because they know a different Gary than I know. You know, they, they know the Gary who got clean and raised them and loved them. And, and like you know, this half-brother I have on Facebook, my hero, my, my, I don't know that Gary. So then Thursday, my half-sister, who I'm somewhat, I, I say close with, I've talked to her on Facebook. I've met her one time. She's the only one I've ever met. Susan said, would you please do me a favor? Because she knew if she asked for me to do her a favor, I was going to do it. I said, what do you need? Because I knew what she was going to ask. She said, would you come down here and just let him go? I said, what the? I don't even know what that means. Like, let him go? Let it go, let it go. I told Christine, she goes, you don't owe them anything. You do what you want. I said, well, I said, if it gives them peace, I'm willing to go. So I drove down there, walked in the room. I thought I might feel some emotion when I saw him, but I didn't. Again, I didn't feel any anger. I still didn't know the man, you know. And um, so, you know, I prayed and did my thing. But, but here's what impacted me the most about that. Not him dying. But the effect it had on these two girls and this one guy. And they sat there talking about this man. And they talked about that literal hell they went through with his addictions and how they literally lived in the back of their car for years and went their whole life with so much stuff. But apparently eight years ago, he had got clean. And they said, man, the last eight years was so amazing. And they were brokenhearted over it. And the reality hit me is, man, we're not promised tomorrow. When they got up on Father's Day and they all had breakfast together and they went about their day, they never thought that that afternoon, because they all lived in the same, because you know that's what they do, all close to each other. They said, we never thought when he didn't show up for dinner that night that he was, had a stroke and was at the house. And my heart broke for them. And it broke that the, the person that they loved and that they cared for. Because again, I haven't really experienced a lot of death. And while I'm not really close with them, I, mean, I, I, I love them. I, I mean, I guess we're blood. And I appreciate them. And at the end of the day, I'm not a cold-hearted person. I don't want to see anybody hurting. And it broke my heart that they were hurting. And it reminded me of how fragile this thing called life is. I was in the, the room, the hospice room, when a doctor came in, and the doctor said, the problem is, is he's so young. They said, but he's had this massive stroke, and he's literally brain dead, but they said the only organ that's bad is his brain. And they said, he could live like this for months. I thought, man, that's not living. And the doctor looked at me and said, my understanding is you're the oldest. So by law... You make those calls. I said, no, 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 no. 
I don't make no calls. I don't know this man. I don't care. It got real awkward in the room. I said, they can make the calls. See, he's their dad. And so they made some decisions. Anyway, I woke up this morning, long story short, and he had passed away. And my heart broke for them because this thing called life is so fragile. But the reality is we're all still alive today. And we're wasting this thing called life. You don't know if you have two more days, if you have 10 more years, if you have 40 more years, whatever it is. But here's the deal. We need to make the most out of this thing called life. But we can't do that when we're being defeated by the giants in our life. The devil loves to send these giants along, and you've got to come to the point in your life where you say enough is enough. And in the story, here's what happens. Everybody, the great warriors, they're scared of Goliath. And a teenage boy shows up on the scene. He doesn't show up to fight. He doesn't show up to go to war. He shows up because his dad sent him to deliver a care package, for lack of a better word, to his brothers who were fighting. And this young boy, this young shepherd boy named David, shows up on the scene. He hears the rumblings. He hears the mumblings. He, he's, he sees and he hears Goliath come out and issues the challenge. And David doesn't understand why nobody will stand up to the giant. And maybe it was youthful inexperience. Or maybe it was youthful exuberance. Or maybe David had not got to the point that so many of us have gotten to in our life where he was just jaded to life. Hello. Maybe he had got to the point where he was still optimistic about life. Life had not beat him down. Life had not left him broke, busted, and disgusted. Life had not left him a cynic. And David just looked at and said, why are people worried about this dude? I'll fight him. And David goes to the king, teenage boy. Look what he says in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. I, I can't imagine that when David said that there wasn't laughter among the camp. A laughter of embarrassment, a laughter of discomfort, a laughter of guilt, a laughter of shame. That here's a young man who's willing to step up and go to war and fight for his country and fight for what's right and fight for the giant that is antagonizing the people and none of them would stand up. I imagine they, I don't imagine, I know they tried to talk him out of it as you read the scripture. They come up with all kinds of reasons he couldn't do it. His brothers actually got mad at him. But we're so guilty of the same thing, man. Somebody gets in recovery and they start defeating their demons. And instead of us rejoicing with them, we go into countdown and say, let's see how long that lasts. Been down this road before. I love it when someone becomes a new believer and everybody's like, oh, man, he's on fire now. Wait till that burns out. How pathetic. How pitiful. Misery loves company. And we can't stand to see somebody go out and chase their dreams. We're the type of people who, who we love to commiserate with people when they're going through hard times. But if we were to be honest, we get a little bit jealous 
at the success of others. Because it highlights in our life how unsuccessful we are, not because we don't have the ability to be successful, because we're not willing to face the giants in our life. And really, as you read this scripture, man, here's this teenage teenager, and he's bringing lunch, and he just looks at it and he says, man, I got this. He looks out, man, dare I say, he gets the eye of the tiger and says, man, life is too precious. Life is too short. I refuse to be mocked by this giant. And that's where you got to get in life with the giant in your life. We all have different giants. We're in the day and time where they have an emotional name for every emotional issue you could ever think of. And I'm not minimizing those emotional issues, but what I'm telling you is today, we weren't created to live in defeat to those emotional issues. You might not be able to get rid of those emotional issues. I have, some, I have some giants in my life that I'll never get rid of. But I can battle every single day and have victory. I refuse to be defined by the giants in my life. Because life's too short for that. Life's too precious for that. One of the big knocks on me is every time I go through something hard, everyone says, I just don't feel like he learned anything. He just seemed to get over it real quick. I, it's not that I didn't learn anything. I just decided to get over it real quick. We had a DeLorean out here last night for the uh, Back to the 80s party, and here's the reality. I don't have a DeLorean in my driveway. I'm not able to hop into the time machine and go back in time and change the mess up. So I can dwell on the mess up, and I can grovel on the mess up, and I can live with the mess up, or I can learn from the mess up. And keep living the life I was created for. You were created for greatness. But whatever the giant is in your life, it's destroying you today. And some of us got to flip the switch and get the eye of the tiger. We got to get that song going through our head and realize, man, in that movie, man, they're pounding Rocky and, and Mr. T beats him up and, and Rocky's doubting himself and Rock, Rocky starts training and when he's training, he's given a half heart because every time he's training, he's thinking about the pounding that he took and the beating that he took and he's thinking about how Mr. T just kept bringing it to him and then something flips in his mind and the music starts playing. Next thing you know, he's running. He's training. He's getting his thing. He's not around the crowds anymore. Man, he's focused. And he says, you know what? I can't live my life defeated by the giant. Some of you today got to make some decisions to face the giant. And here's the deal. David lays out exactly what we're supposed to do. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to remember we serve a great God. That's where you say amen. Let's try that again. I know some of you are tired. I know some of you are hungover. I know some of you stayed out late last night. Here, just because you were at the house of God last night don't mean you were doing godly things last night. So let's try that again. Because that right there, where, where'd that point go, Xander? Xander, man. Is that Tanya or Xander? We ain't done with that yet. That's one of them points that if I don't even elaborate on it, I don't even add any more to it. It's good stuff. See, before you get to the other steps, and I'm going to give you some steps, you got to remember who it is that we serve. Because I think the problem that happens sometimes is we forget how good God is. We take it for granted. We get over what God's done for us. We get over the power of God. I told someone last night, I was here at the, the concert, and Rich is up here playing, and Rich was, and I think it might have been Phil, I, wonder if, I said, it's so funny. I said, we see Rich every week, and I said, we take for granted 
that probably one of the top 10 guitar players in the country attend this church, and we get to see him on Sunday mornings. But we do the same thing with God. We just kind of get used to the goodness of God. We forget where God's brought us from and where God's taking us to. And so when the giant comes along, suddenly the giant becomes greater than our God. And how can you defeat a giant when the giant's greater than your God? And if your giant's greater than your God, you're serving the wrong God today. Look what David said. He rolls up, but David said to Saul, this is a teenage boy talking to the king. He said, don't worry about me fighting this giant. I got a resume I remember how good God is. He said, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And he said, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from his mouth. He said, when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it, and I killed it. Your servant, hey, hey king, that's me, this teenage boy. Man, I killed a lion and a bear. He said, you think I'm worried about this giant? I'm chilling in the field. I got thousands of sheep, and they came and took one of my sheep. And I went after it. He said, I jerked that lion up by its hair. I jerked that bear up by, and when it turned on me, when that thing had the nerve to turn on me for taking back what was mine, I killed it. I ain't worried about this giant. Your servants killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. This teenage boy said, you think I'm worried about this giant? I'll kill him like I killed that lion. I'll kill him like I killed that bear. This giant doesn't scare me because this giant screwed up and has come against the armies of the living God. And what you need to realize today is you're a child of God. And when those giants come up against you, you're a child of the king today. Man. Look what he said. Be like the one because he's filed the armies of God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go. And the Lord be with you. And here's what I dig about David. He said, the Lord who rescued me. David knew that all his victories in life were not because of him. They were because of God. See, here's the difference between some of us and David. David had not forgotten what God had done in the past. And here's the reality of the situation. So many times our past is the greatest indicator of our future. And David knew, man, God got me through that. And God will get me through this. You're worried about insecurity, and God says, I got that. You're worried about gambling, and God says, I'm bigger than that. You're worried about drugs, and God says, I'm bigger than that. You think your marriage is unrepairable, and God looks down and says, man, that ain't nothing compared to what I've done. You need to remember where God has brought you from. They're looking at David like David's crazy, and David said, I'm not worried about this giant. I've been there. Done that. Got the t-shirt. Let's move on to the next thing. Every time I start to get frustrated and every time I start to get discouraged and every time those giants come up in my life, I just remember where God's brought me from. 
I remember losing everything and literally being 33 years old and homeless. And God bringing me through it. I remember when I didn't have two pennies to rub together and God bringing me through it. I can go back and remember all the things that God has done in this church every time. Things start to get tighter, finances. I don't know how much longer we're going to go. And I get that panic attack for I allow myself about 60 seconds of it. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I've been here before. We serve an on-time God who gets us past things. But the problem is you forgot your past victories and you're focusing on your current defeats. And you can't overcome your defeats with a loser mentality. And we don't have to have a loser mentality because we serve on the winning team. Some of you need to go back and remember where God's brought you from. You need to go back and remember where God has brought you. This ain't the first time you've had a giant in your life. It's not going to be the last time you've had a giant in your life. This ain't the first time you've dealt with some kind of, whether it's a physical issue or an emotional issue or a mental issue or even a spiritual issue. You need to go back and realize, man, when I thought I was at the end of my rope before, man, God brought me through. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You've just forgotten who he was. When you're facing those giants that seem unstoppable, sometimes you got to stop. Quit focusing on this giant and just allow yourself for a second to remember the past giants that you've already defeated. I call it the mental graveyard. I like to go back every now and then and remember all the giants I've slayed. Thought that one was going to beat me. I got it. Thought that one was going to kill me. Man, God took it down. I thought that one was going to be the end of me. Man, I thought this issue was going to destroy me mentally. And God got me through it. But you got to do this before we get into anything else practical. You got to go back and remember how good God is. Some of you forgotten it. Number two, we're going to bring the right weapons to a fight. You don't go to a gunfight with a knife. You'll lose every single time. When you get into a fight, it's important to make sure you have the right weapons. After David goes to Saul and Saul says, cool, man, go do it. It says, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. Now, you need to understand something about Saul. Saul was a man. Matter of fact, Saul's physical presence is why the children of Israel chose him to be king. He was not God's choice. God let the people decide, and the stature and the presence of Saul, he looked like a king to them. He looked like, in their mind, like what a leader should look like. I remember when I started my first church, I was part of a denomination. You'll find this amazing. I used to be part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Can you imagine that? And um, I went to what was called, they called it church planting boot camp. So I show up at church planting boot camp. And I get put at this table. There was like 40-something people starting churches, and they all had these visions. And of those 40 people, this week I looked it up, there's 37 of them out of ministry. Only three are still in ministry. But there was the golden boy. You ever been part of a class where there's had a job or something, there's always the golden boy? And the golden boy looked like what a pastor should look like. The golden boy was a quarterback on a Division I football team. 
Man, he had blonde hair and blue eyes. He was chiseled, kind of like me, a lot better than me. And, like, he was that guy. You know those people you just can't stand because it's like, how do they get their clothes that wrinkle-free? You know what I mean? Like, how do, their, how do they wear their clothes all day and they never get a wrinkle in them? And the golden boy, like, he even smelled good. Like, he smelled like... And then of all obnoxious, and it's no offense to Carrie, who plays guitar because he has the same last name, the guy's last name was Champion. I'm, I don't want to say this. Joe Champion. Like, if your name is Joe Champion and you ain't the golden boy... Like that, you're born for greatness. Joe Champion. <laughs> and then to top it off, Joe Champion, listen to what I'm about to tell you, had raised $1.5 million to go start a church. Like Joe was the man. I got placed with Joe at the table. Joe started a church. That church lasted six months. But he had the look. Saul had the look. And David comes along and says, man, I want to go fight. Now, David's a teenager. And Saul says, all right, if you're going to go fight, you need to wear my armor. You understand, armor was custom made, especially for the king. David puts this armor on. He put on a coat of armor and a bronze helmet on his head. Um, where am I at? David fastened the sword over the tunic and tried walking around. But he was not used to them. He said, I can't go in these. David said, I, I can't wear this. This wasn't designed for me. This wasn't created for me. I didn't have any of this when I fought the bear. I didn't have any of this when I fought the lion. There's nothing wrong with this. Don't miss this. But this wasn't made for me. He said, I, I can't do this. I'm not used to them. So he took them off. He took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. Put them in his pouch with the shepherd's bag. And with his sling, freaking slingshot, he approached the Philistine. David was a bad dude. David was a bad dude. But David knew his gifting. He knew his uniqueness. Here's something we need to try to understand today. You're uniquely designed. The last thing God needs for you to be is someone else. He wants you to be the first you. He's not looking for you to duplicate the success of someone else. I tell people all the time, not that anybody's trying to be like me, but if you try to be like me, you're going to fail utterly. Because in all of its messed up and screwed up glory, this is my race. And that's the problem with so many of you. You're trying to battle the giants in your life but you're trying to compare your battles to somebody else's battles and they're not relevant to your battle. Your marriage might be better if you quit comparing it to someone else's marriage. Mm. 
Your finances might be better if you quit comparing them to somebody else's finances. You need to look down into the creek and pick up your stones, and I am convinced the number one thing that keeps us from living the life we were created for is we don't know who we are. We're so busy trying to be what the world wants us to be or what our spouse wants us to be or what our job wants us to be or acting like we think the church says we ought to act and look like the church says we ought to look and breathe like the church says we ought to breathe and all these man-made rules that we have quit being who we were created to be. You want to go battle the giants in your life? That's your battle. Don't wear my armor because I ain't wearing yours. Don't worry about the armor that I'm wearing. David, he picked up five stones, and he picked up the stone of his past, and I already covered that. He said, man, I've been there. I got this stone. He picked up the stone of prayer. He said, man, I don't know what I'm about to get into, but I know whatever it is, I got to bathe it in prayer. Look what he said over and over. David talks about prayer. David was greatly distressed because he was a man. Because the men were talking of stoning him, each one of his own bitter spirit because of his sons and his daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Look what he says in Psalms. He he says, have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me. For in my soul, for for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings. He said in Psalms 59, he said, but I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love. For you are my fortress, my refuge in my times of trouble. And Isaiah, he says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you man every battle you're going to do you better remember the lord you bet you better remember that stone you better get into prayer and you better get ready for your priorities to be straight the bible says this day this day david said this day will the lord deliver thee into my hand that all the earth may know there's a god in israel he said man i'm going to take this giant down and god's going to get the glory for it As you're facing your giants, you think they're for you to have victory, and they are. But the number one thing is for God to get the glory in the giants being defeated. You're trying to get yourself the glory. Hmm. He had passion. He he, he had that stone of pain. He said, and David said to Paul, let no man's heart fall, fail because of him. And and 48, it says, and it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurled and ran towards the enemy. David, man, he had he he ran towards the fight. I I have a saying that I say all the time when I'm teaching people stuff or I'm doing leadership stuff or I'm coaching people, and I always say, run to conflict. People tell me all the time, you love conflict. No, 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 no. I hate conflict. I despise conflict 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 gets me knots in my stomach it gets me to where I don't feel good I hate it but you know what I hate more than conflict I hate the days of having those knots in my stomach I hate the days of wondering what's going to happen when I finally have to confront this person oh what am I going to do so I just run to it let's go ahead and get it out of the way and get it out there in the open some of you need to run head first into your giants because here's the deal why are you going to keep meditating on that insecurity why are you going to keep focusing on that depression why are you going to keep letting that anxiety control your life run to it have passion for it 
Then he picked up, someone said, why do you think David picked up five stones? And I said, I, I don't know, but I read this week, a guy, and I don't probably know truth to this, but I thought it was pretty good. They said he picked up five stones because he knew Goliath probably had four more brothers. He was ready to take every one of them down. We need to get ready to go after it. Here's the next thing we're going to do. We're going to stay focused as we battle those giants. This is so key when you're battling giants. I'm not one of those people who believe we've got to dwell on our giants. We don't need to dwell on our hurts. We don't need to dwell on our habits. We don't need to dwell on our hangups. But you've got to stay focused on defeating them. You've got to stay focused on defeating them because you can't win a war when you're distracted. Don't let the giants distract you. Look, look, look what the... Uh, Giant, what Goliath said to him, David asked the men standing near him, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out to him. David said to the Philistine, you come out against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Because when David came out, the giant laughed, and the giant tried to distract him. The giant tried to get him to doubt himself. You'll let that insecurity get in your head. You'll let that jealousy get in your head. You'll let that uh, depression get in your head. You'll let that anxiety get in your head. You'll let that stress get in your head. You'll let that financial pressure get in your head. And that giant will distract you. And it will overwhelm your thoughts. And it will consume you so much that you're thinking so much about it instead of staying focused on defeating it. Hey, you know something else when you face your giants? Don't let the haters distract you. Do not miss this, because this is one of the most mind-boggling concepts to me when it comes to people getting victory. Again, I said a little bit about it earlier. You think people would cheer you in the process, but people actually get mad at you in the process. They don't want you to defeat your giants. They don't want you to overcome your issues, because if you overcome your issues, it's a reminder to them that they refuse to overcome theirs. And let me make this as clear, and some of you are going to get real upset today and say I'm insensitive. Overcoming your giants is a choice. It's a choice. You choose whether to live in your anxiety. I didn't say you choose to have it, so do not leave here saying I said that. But you choose not to take that. You choose to live in your depression. You choose to live in your stress. You choose to live on whatever issue, your financial pressure, your marriage pressure. I didn't say that you choose to have those giants. Nobody chose for Goliath to be there. But you choose whether you have victory. David's ready to go fight. You think people would be excited about it? <laughs> but when Elab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the man, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart. You've come down only to watch the battle. He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the man answered him as before. His own brother mocking him. His own brother who didn't have the guts to go fight the giant. Starts dogging David for wanting to fight the giant. Listen to me. When you get in recovery addict, you're going to be amazed how many addicts get mad at you for getting clean. Because they refuse to get clean. 
you start getting control of whatever that issue is in your life and those people you've been whining to about your issue who you have a brotherhood because you have the same issue, you think they're going to be happy for you. Most of the time, they're not. That's why it's so important to get around winners. It's so important to get around people who've overcome issues because they want to see you be successful. Those that are still wallowing in it don't want to see you overcome it. You've got to stay focused because it's easy to get distracted. You've got to focus on God. Focus on God. He said, the Lord who helped me beat the blind and the bear, he'll help me beat this guy. I'm focused on what's right. Fourth thing we're going to do, we're going to seize the opportunity. We're going to seize the opportunity. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. I don't really know why David chose this moment, but he saw the opportunity. I don't know if it was because the giant was running and he had his guard down, but he didn't wait for the giant to get to him. The minute the opportunity arose, he pulled out his stone and caught the giant off guard. I don't know where the opportunity is for you to defeat your giant. But here's what I know. When you stay focused, it will arise. You're dealing with financial pressure and you want to get out of debt and all of a sudden the opportunity comes along and you have overtime at work or you have the time to make more money or man, your marriage is struggling and you don't know if it's going to work out and all of a sudden the opportunity arises for you guys to have more time together and for you to communicate and for you to pour into each other. You need to seize the opportunity. You need to take the bull by the horns. When that opportunity presents itself, man, you're struggling, again, with some emotional issue. And ain't it amazing someone comes along in your life who had that same emotional issue and they've overcome it? What you need is you need to seize the opportunity. Take that person to coffee. Take that person to lunch. Man, you be open with them and honest with them. Tell me how you did this. This is destroying me. So many of your pride won't allow you to do that. What will they think of me? They're not going to think anything of you because they had the same issue. Man, your pride's killing you. You've got to seize the opportunity. We're going to get out of here today. And last of all, this is so important. You're going to cut off the giant's head. Here's the problem with so many of you. You knock the giant down. You had the giant almost defeated. And then something happens. You think you have it under control. I am so guilty of this. I know the steps in my life that I have to do to deal with the issues that I have. And so what happens is, is I start doing these steps, and I work it, man, and I work my program, and I, I, you know, I'm spending time in the Word, and I'm spending time in prayer, and I'm in my prayer closet, and I'm listening to worship music. I've always told you, music's just real powerful to me, and I'm working it, and things get good. And then suddenly when things get good... I stopped doing what I was doing, and things get real bad. I almost had it killed, but I left a little bit of life in it. I left a little bit of breath in it. You need to kill. You need to take the giant and cut its head off. David ran and stood over him. The giant was dead. But David was going to make sure the giant was dead. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and he drew it from the scabbard and after he killed him, 
he cut his head off with the sword. <laughs> Pow! When the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. I'm not going to get into the politics of war. I'm just going to tell you the story. There was something defeating to the Philistines about seeing the giant's head up. There'll be something defeating to your emotional issue. When you look at it and you've just about got victory, you don't take the foot off the throttle. You keep pushing and you keep working your steps. I was talking to someone the other day and they said, man, I got on some medicine for some issues I'm dealing with and I'm thriving. I said, man, that's awesome. Sometimes we have chemical imbalances and the medicine balances out. About three months later, this person went off the rails. I said, what happened? I thought I was good, so I quit taking the medicine. I said, no, you were good because you were taking the medicine. I just don't like to know I got to take medicine. I said, oh, so your pride's going to let you get defeated. Why would you not want to live the life you were created for? talking to someone struggling with addiction recently and they realized I said what happened I was just doing so good I wanted to prove that I could have one drink why I just wanted to prove I could be normal when did that become normal and first of all what is normal who classifies what normal is Someone came up to me last night and said, man, you're feeling good tonight. I said, man, I am feeling good. I said, how much you had to drink? I said, nothing. What? You're smiling and laughing. I said, I don't got to have a beer. And I'm not against drinking, don't get me wrong. But I don't got to have a beer to smile and laugh. I was having a good time. If that's normal, I don't want to be normal. Some of you need to cut the head off that giant. That's the reason you can't have that final victory because you almost get it down and you slow up. Here's the deal. There's going to be some giants in your life. We live in a day and time where I feel like the wussification of America has taken over. And we don't have a killer instinct anymore. When it comes to the giants in your life, if you want to have victory, if you want to have the relationship you've always dreamed of, if you want to have the finances you've always dreamed of, if you want to have the family you've always dreamed of, if you want to have the mental state, the emotional state you've always dreamed of, it doesn't come easy. Let me give you a reality check today. Life isn't easy. I went to the hospital, the hospice, or whatever the crap you call it this week. And I, I, I knew what he meant. I mean, they had a rough life. And I was sensitive to that. And he said, man, I said, I, like, I never met the guy before, brother, brother, I guess. He's like, man, life's just so easy for you. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? Again, I didn't want to be rude. He just, man, he said, it seems like you just got, you just seem so happy and you have so much going on. I said, life is so hard for me. And I said, that, uh, I freaked the kid out and started lecturing him. And I said, that's your problem. You think life's easy. 
the other night, I said, you're just an overnight success. I said, overnight success, 20 years in the making. You didn't see me when I didn't have anything. You didn't see me when I went to Christine and was like, man, I might have to get a real job for the first time ever. I wonder if McDonald's is hiring. You say, really? Yeah, two years ago, man. Eh, I, two years ago, everything I tried was not working. It was so frustrating. Life is work. Your marriage is work. Relationship with your kids is work. Raising kids is crazy. Tuesday, me and Emily had an awesome day. Like I was the greatest dad in the world. Wednesday, she got up and breathed. I said, hey, baby girl. She looked at me like I had four heads. I said, what's wrong with you? I'm just in the mood. I said, at me? If you're going to ask me another question, it would be towards you. Literally, the rest of the day, we didn't talk. Like, how does that happen in a 24-hour period? It's work. Work. Quit thinking life's easy. Life doesn't owe you anything. And quit cowering to the giants. God, life is awesome. I do think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who loves life more than me. I love it. I, I love life. How do you deal with all that? I love the chaos. I love the drama. I love the critics. You say, don't you wish you didn't have that? Sure, I wish I didn't have any of that stuff. But here's the deal. I can hate on it or I can just love every moment of it. I love it because it beats the alternative. And I can't wait to get to heaven. Don't get me wrong. But I'm going to milk this joker for all it's worth. And you can't do that cowering to giants. Make the decision today. You know what the giant is in your life. Decide today you're going to take that stone and take it down. 